with it. Uh, Colossians is where we're at again this morning. Uh, I'm going to try to keep things brief, although I have more content than I typically do. So we'll see how things go. But Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. We're going to read the whole section, 24 through 29. But we're going to give particular attention to verse 24 uh, this morning. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Again, this is content we've already covered kind of in our Colossians series, but we're just going back to certain kind of phrases and aspects to kind of draw it out a little bit more, especially in light of the missions emphasis that we've somewhat been in throughout the month of December. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul states this, explaining his own ministry. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, Paul says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which, Paul says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. We sang about this earlier, the hope of glory. Paul says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says, for this I toil. That is... That is like blood, sweat, and tears kind of language. For this I toil, struggling with all God's energy that he powerfully works within me. So we're going to take a few lessons from Paul this morning, considering just the experience of joining God in his mission. So let's pray, and we'll get through this this morning. Jesus, we come before you again asking Um, that you would make your word profitable. Thank you that you attend your word. You are the living word. And and through the written word, we come to encounter you. And so, Jesus, we pray right now, once again, that you would make your word effectual. We, We need you. We need the presence of your spirit even here and right now as as we gather as your family, not to do something religious, but to to encounter you afresh. So thank you that you call us to your word. You call us to your word as one who attends your word. So please work through your word even this morning um, to challenge our hearts and encourage our hearts afresh, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, last week, and I'm I'm moving fast because I know we've used time elsewhere. Last week, we, we considered the fact of how are we as Christians to live our lives in a way that our life is not wasted? Remember that? Uh, As Jesus would reference, remember the rich man? He's like, all right, I know how to live this life. I'm going to uh, fill my barns to the top so I can just sit back, chill, take it easy for the rest of my life, more or less retire from everything so I can just enjoy my comfort. Jesus says of that man, you are a fool. Why? because his life has become of no eternal benefit. He has, he has given his life to the here and now so that he could chill, but Jesus says, oh fool, now your soul is required of you. And so Jesus is really saying, 
hey, you've wasted your life. So the question stands before us, how do we not waste our lives? And what I proposed last week is that we join God in what God is ultimately doing. We join him. And what is God doing in this life? How, let's interact, all right? We're, we're a small family this morning. What is God doing ultimately in human history? What is he accomplishing? What is he, where is everything going? Where is it going? Where's the goal? Anybody? All right, he's glorifying himself. How particularly? Colossians will talk about it. Chapter 1, verse 20. What's happening? What's the big scope of everything? All right, he's establishing his new kingdom. Specifically, how? Through us, his church, right? So Jesus, God's plan for the ages, as Paul would say, is to make all things new or to reconcile all things to Jesus, right? Everything that's broken and disconnected from God, he is intended, God is intended through Jesus to see everything reconciled, to put back in its place. It's almost like a return to Eden, as you would see the storyline of Scripture. God's intention is to make all things new through Jesus, right? Now, that is a, that is a fearful reality to consider. It's not just hope-giving. It's also like, whoa, are we on board with what God is doing? Because if you're not on board with what God is doing, God is making all things new through Jesus, but that's not just everything's going to be okay for everyone. Part of making all things new in Jesus is that there is going to be a judgment. As Jesus says, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, right? There will be a real judgment where there will be a real damnation, a separation of things that have not come to Jesus, do not cry out to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Those things will be separated from all that God has made new through Jesus in such a way that you could say the sin, sinners, no longer remain, right? God's going to make all things new through Jesus. Part of that is judgment. It's not just restoration, right? Part of restoration, you could say, will be judgment. Justice will come through Jesus. It's a fearful thing. That's what God's doing. And the question then is, how is God accomplishing all these things through Jesus? We know Jesus has come, so the process of renewal, seeing all things made right, has already begun. But how now is God actually fleshing this whole plan out? Well, he chooses the church. The church is his, if you want to say, his game plan. The church is his number one draft pick for like this season until Jesus comes again. He has chosen his people to be about this mission of seeing Jesus known so more and more and more people come to know Jesus, right? Until Jesus ultimately returns and make things new. The mission at hand, the eternal benefit placed before us is to say, be about the mission that God is on and seeing all things made new in Jesus. And part of that then for us is proclaiming Jesus through our lips and through our lives, right? Making Jesus known. We are the representation of Jesus on this planet. Let that sink in for a moment. We are his representation. That's why we get serious about sin, right? That's why we just don't sit back and say, eh, no big deal. 
And we get serious. Why? Because you represent Jesus as a follower of Jesus. And so this is what God is doing in all of human history. This is what he's called us to join in on. So in that sense, our lives are not wasted. God is making all things new through Jesus. That process has already begun. We have then been commissioned to carry out that mission of letting others know the good news of Jesus. Matthew, of course, 19, the Great Commission, go and make followers, Jesus says. Acts 1.8, Jesus will say something very similar. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You're going to be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost part of the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, you now become a sent one of Jesus to go make much of him throughout the world. However God's given you influence, whether it's in the workplace or on the block, this is your mission, to make much of Jesus, right? Now, what I want to pose to you this morning is that part of this mission will inevitably involve suffering. You can't follow Jesus and expect that it will be suffering free. Or the other way that I want to say it this morning is that the currency of the kingdom is suffering. If you're going to give your life to what ultimately will be have eternal benefit in this life, it will inevitably involve suffering. Suffering is the exchange rate for the kingdom. There's suffering that goes on, and as we live for Jesus, that suffering is going to be inevitable, but the exchange rate is that through suffering, through that mission, there's going to be fruitfulness. That's what Paul is so excited about. He opens up this whole you know, letter just thanking God. It's amazing what's happening. Why? Well, Paul shared Jesus with Epaphras, and Epaphras has now shared Jesus with those in Colossae, and, and, and there's fruit now, life change and transformation. There's hopefulness where there wasn't hopefulness. God is truly at work. The Spirit is truly at work bringing transformation to lives. But then you dive into the nitty-gritty of Paul's experience and Epaphras' experience, and both experienced incredible suffering through that journey. The gospel doesn't go forward without some degree, some level of suffering. So the first point that I just want to bring to you is that the currency of the kingdom will be something of suffering and sacrifice. Even as Tom was sharing his story, he ended by saying, yeah, and encountering God it came through one who stepped out of her way, right? Sacrificed herself in order to speak Jesus, right? This is the reality of this mission, this unwasted life, this mission that we are called to inevitably will involve suffering. The way that Paul then explains his own suffering is in verse 24. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And, and he he uses that strange phrase, but it's a powerful phrase, right? That in his flesh, he is filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Paul is filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Paul describes his unwasted life, his ministry, his mission 
as filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Now, probably a month ago or more, we saw the fact that Paul is not saying in that phrase that Jesus' afflictions at the cross in somehow, in some way, are lacking. Um, Paul is not saying that, you know, Jesus did a great job, but he came up a little short, and so we need to fill up what's lacking in what Jesus ultimately did. That's not the point. That's not the focus here at all. What Paul is actually explaining is his ministry, and so I love how Sam Storms explains it. He explains it this way. He says, what is lacking in Christ's affliction is not propitiation, but presentation. In other words, the sufferings of Jesus fully satisfied the wrath of God. What Jesus did at the cross didn't lack anything. God's wrath was fully and finally satisfied. But, he says, there is lacking a personal presentation by Christ himself to the nations of the world. God's answer to this lack is to call the people of Christ to make a personal presentation of the afflictions of Christ to the world. In doing so, we fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. In other words, what is lacking here is not Christ's work on our behalf, but our work on Christ's behalf. To see Christ made known to others will inevitably involve suffering. Suffering is the currency of the kingdom. It's the exchange rate. To make Jesus known, to see Jesus transform and change and save lives will come at a cost for us. One particular illustration of this came actually through uh, Probably one of the more popular books on missions by John Piper, it says, Let the Nations Be Glad. If you haven't read through this, it's a fantastic read on, on missions. Um, once again, can I reemphasize, missions is not for missionaries necessarily, it's for everyone. You're a missionary. You called to Jesus, you're sent one of Jesus. You're in the game, right? You're on the court. You've, you've been placed in a particular place. Where you have influence, you're a missionary there, right? So there, there's a particular um, story that he shares of an, an individual who gets saved. This is uh, a setting in Africa, and this individual comes to faith through some pretty amazing situations. But then this particular man, his name is, is Joseph, he goes back into his village to share Christ with others. So he goes into his village, and what ends up happening is that he begins knocking on doors, sharing Christ with his friends, his family, those within his village. And he immediately gets beaten in the, in the little kind of like village square there, right? He's beaten almost to the end of life, dragged out beyond the corridor of, of that village and left for dead. He wakes up, you know, beaten, bloody. Um, he even states it's, it's a miracle that I'd actually, you know, lasted through that particular beating. And he says, well, if, 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 if Christ is who he says he is, I can't stop at this. So he goes back into the village, right? 
And, and he starts sharing the gospel. What do they do? They, do the same. They, they beat him up once again, throw him out, and he says it was a second miracle that he experienced where he comes to, he's not dead, he should have been dead by the beatings that he suffered. And so what it, like, the guy just wasn't getting it in some ways. Um, to follow Christ is to be a fool for Christ. What does he do? He goes back into the village. And, and he states, he said, he said, once again, before I could even begin to speak, they knew who I was, and they began to beat me again. He says, in those moments before I passed out, I was watching women who were flogging me begin to weep. He says, then I came to. This time I wasn't taken out beyond the border of the village. This time I was in one of their huts and they were trying to save my life. The whole point being is that they recognized that if he was willing to suffer that much, there must be something true to what he has to say. And we must, say, we must hear this message. Do you get the point? That, that again and again, especially in our Western context, it's like, oh, they don't want to hear about Jesus. My neighbor doesn't want to hear about Jesus. You know? And so we, we don't enter into that potential suffering. We don't even enter into that potential rejection. It's not, it's not a beating that we'll receive. It's just something of our own reputation that we feel like is going to be compromised. It's part of being a fool for Christ. That we go share Christ with others, knowing there will be suffering, there will be rejection through, through the way. And yet, it's oftentimes through the suffering that God will make his message all the more clear and all the more authoritative. It's worth the suffering. The currency of the kingdom, if we are going to be on mission in some way for Jesus, sharing Jesus, we must realize that suffering will be a part of that journey. Now, maybe you sit back, and secondly, second point, maybe you sit back and say, well, isn't, isn't kind of this reserved for Paul? Wasn't this his ministry? A man, like, chosen by God, to actually suffer in some pretty unique ways for Jesus' sake. And I would say, yes. Like, Paul will actually say, like, I've been a man marked out by God for unique suffering. And yet, we can't look at Paul and say that what he is doing here is going to be so unique. What Paul is setting for us is something of an example of what mission will really look like. And here's where I just want to give you a quick survey. In our Western mindset, this stuff begins to be quite offensive. We want to wiggle past the, these verses that we're, we're about to hear. We, we want to kind of reconcile them in our, our logical minds, start kind of arguing away the, the severity of the text that I'm about to read. Paul's suffering was unique, but not altogether unique. If you're a follower of Jesus... Jesus calls you to suffer for his sake. A few texts to consider. These are, the first few texts are, are texts that are actually an invitation into the Christian life. 
we do not talk like this much at all in our Western church about coming to Jesus. But this is how Jesus spoke of coming to him. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Jesus, calling the crowd to himself with his disciples, said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up an instrument of death, and follow me. For whoever would save his life, you're actually going to lose it. If if you try to keep your life in this world, you're actually going to lose your life in this world. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will actually save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? That was Jesus' invitation to following him. Oftentimes in our world, in our Western context, it's come to Jesus because Jesus is going to heal you. He's going to make you whole. He's going to be this great benefit to you. And he is. But the flip side of the coin is you better be willing to lose your life in order to gain it in following Jesus. Luke chapter 14. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus. And he turned to them and said to them, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. If there's anything getting in the way of you being fully surrendered to Jesus, Jesus is saying, nope, you can't, you won't be my disciple. That's amazing statements. The idea of hate is, is to actually kind of withhold something. It's not this evil kind of hate. It's the idea of withholding. So if, if you're not ready to give up relationships in the here and now that are precious in order to follow Jesus, Jesus is saying, you're not worthy to be my disciple. This is one of the texts even coming out to the East Coast that God used in my life. Jody and I talk, eh, would it be great to be in the Midwest? Maybe it would. But this is where God's called. And as God calls, you go. You go. I'll I'll get an eternity with my family someday. My extended relatives will be able to sit around, drink heavenly coffee all day long, and talk about how great Jesus has been. Right? We'll get that time. But here and now, it's work. Here and now, it's calling. Here and now, it's mission. Here and now, it's to invest in something that has eternal benefit. Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. John chapter 12. This is my favorite text. Jesus answered them, saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's the kingdom currency. Do you see what he's saying? You got to die to yourself to be fruitful for the kingdom. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servants will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is kingdom currency. To follow Jesus necessarily means that there will 
be, you're going to have to give up things in this life. Your dreams, sometimes relationships, sometimes aspirations in order to follow Jesus. This is part of the invitation to the Christian life. Not just, ain't Jesus great, he's going to heal you and make you whole. He will do that. But to really follow Jesus, there will be suffering. That's the invitation. We also have texts, and I just picked one out of many, the requirement of the Christian life. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It's like, it's a part parcel of the Christian life. You must suffer with Jesus. It's a requirement. There's just no easier way of getting around it. We can't do just kind of mental gymnastics or exegetical gymnastics to get around this. Suffering will be necessarily a part of the Christian experience. Third, the invitation is not only to suffering, the requirement is not only to suffering, but as you are a Christian, there is a call to suffer. Hebrews chapter 13. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, the text says, let us go to Jesus outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. In other words, if you're, if you're going to follow Jesus, part of following Jesus is to be that fool for Jesus. You will bear the same reproach that he suffered. And the call is to like get out of the, the picture here is the city, the norm of life, and to the place of rejection. Where the city doesn't admire you for all your like, worldly abilities and reputations. It's to go be a part of something where you will lose all worldly reputation for Jesus' sake. For here we have no lasting city. <laughs> Who cares about reputation in this world? It's not lasting. But we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Let us go out to Jesus. As he suffered reproach, let us suffer reproach. 1 Peter chapter 2, another call to suffer in the Christian life. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Just think about your own stories. How much suffering did you endure for your own sin's sake? You know? Man! <laughs> I think back on stuff, and it was just like, we did the stupidest stuff, and we paid for it the next morning. We were willing to endure. We were willing to spend money that we didn't have in order to get things for a short amount of time in that evening to feel a certain way so that the next morning we would just be suffering. <laughs> it didn't make any sense. And so Peter is saying, man, you know, if you sin and you endure the suffering, that, 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 that doesn't make sense. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, oh, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been what? Called. Because Christ also <laughs> suffered for you, leaving you an example, so you might follow in his steps. Folks, whether it's the invitation into Christianity, whether it's the requirements 
for Christianity, whether it's the call upon every Christian who is in Christianity, like it's all a call to suffer for the sake of Christ. It's necessary to realize that the currency of the kingdom is a life of suffering for Jesus' sake. Don't shrink back. Now, you may, you may, as I do, think, well, we don't live in a persecuted nation, so like, we got it easy. Like, so what's, what's suffering going to really look like? And in some sense, yeah, we don't live in a persecuted nation. You know, I was studying through some of this. The top 50 persecuted nations, 11 people are martyred daily. Daily, right? So when we think about persecution and the severity of that persecution, that's real life stuff. In the last century, the 20th century, they, they estimate that for, there, there were 45 million martyrs. Right, so... Christianity is the number one persecuted group in the world by a long shot. And so when it comes down to it, there are plenty places in the world where real persecution. Uh, I don't know if you guys have met Imram and Shazia who've come on like a periodic basis. They don't speak English super well. But here's a guy who who came to Jesus knowing that as soon as he confessed Jesus, he would lose his job, he would lose his family, and he would be, he would be stuck. He would be eventually homeless because he confessed Christ. They then found a way to come to the States. Shazia struggled a bit more in her walk with the Lord, knowing that there's going to be a massive fallout as soon as she comes to Christ. She will lose her family. And that's what they've both suffered for Jesus' sake. Loss of family, loss of opportunity, loss of job, displaced from their home, more or less for following Jesus. And <laughs> This is real life stuff beyond our comfortable Western world. But here's, here's the point that I want to throw out to you, is that true followers of Jesus will inevitably be persecuted. Not because we live in a nation that has persecution, But as you stand up for things that are right and true of Jesus, even not just standing up for right things because they're right, right? Not just becoming this, you know, self-righteous moralist, like you deserve to be knocked off your pedestal if that's the case. But if you're truly loving as Jesus loved, Jesus says, if I've been persecuted, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to face it. In the West, You're going to feel it from some of the more extreme kind of, if I could use this word, liberal-minded folks, right? You'll feel that in some ways. But the majority of, in a sense, persecution won't come from those who say they don't know Jesus. It'll come from those who say, we do know Jesus. Criticism within the church today, and I'm saying big C church, is disgusting. It is disgusting. It is a sad reality. Um, few, uh, last year, read a few books from a guy whose name is Brother Yoon. He was a Chinese pastor. And he talks about how God got a hold of his life in some pretty miraculous ways. But then he lived much of his life starting churches in China. Suffered incredible, spent years in prison for confessing Christ and starting these churches. He endured 
massive suffering. Um, even, even some of his family being persecuted with him. Like, I can't fathom that. I can't fathom seeing my wife and kids persecuted for Jesus' sake in front of me. I can't fathom that. Here, here's a guy who went through incredible suffering. And then God, later in his life, gave him opportunity to come to the States to share his story. He comes to the States and he says, when it comes down to it, yeah, you don't have exactly persecution in the West, but the criticism that someone faces for sharing Jesus within the community of faith is almost on equal par. You have brothers and sisters who are putting you in the air, and, and they're the ones coming after you and trying to knock you down. He said when he came, he was met with such criticism from the church. He said that, that, was, that was more painful than the persecution. Why? Because his brothers and sisters pointing their arrows at him, you know? Folks, this happens again and again, and I hesitate to go here. Um, Bethel Church, for instance. Um, you know, they're, they're popular now because of their music and other stuff. Um, but just in the last couple weeks, you see the prayers going up for little Olive. Uh, she was a little two-year-old girl who suddenly passed away, right? And so what do they do? They rally the church to pray for her resurrection, right? So here is a church in turmoil, but saying, even in the midst of our turmoil, we are going to stand for what Jesus can do. We're not going to hold that out as being naive hope. We feel the grief, we feel the hardship, and yet Jesus says he raises the dead, right? And he calls us, Luke chapter 10, to do the same. Well, they've raised up a bunch of attention, uh, and they've called people to pray for Olive's resurrection. And what has the broader church done? They've called them out as heretics. Here, time of grieving, and just like, we're going to hold on to hope, and we're going to pray hard, and we're going to pray big things. We're not going to stand back in these moments and just not pray big things. We pray big things because our God is big. And they even said, if he doesn't do this, well, we're going to continue to be sustained by his grace. We believe in his sustaining grace, but we believe in his healing and resurrecting grace. And we're going to pray it. That's amazing. That honor, you could just see Jesus. Whatever Jesus intends to do in those moments, you could just see him pleased. Oh, this is the way you walk through tragedy and suffering. Praying big prayers. Not with naivety. Of course not. Trusting our God can do this if he chooses. And if he doesn't, we're going to be good. We're going to still call him good. But what has this church suffered but endless criticism being called out as heretics, not even church, not even a church. Some of those streams that have criticized them were in some ways connected to, and it grieves my heart. Folks, if you really are radical for Jesus, there's going to be other people who say they follow Jesus who bring waves of criticism upon you. It's a shame. It's a shame that the church, in its comfort, an unpersecuted country, would then turn in on itself to damage itself. Like, and we're going to have differences. 
And there's going to be discernment issues, right, from church to church and denomination to denomination. I get that. But folks, this kind of stuff, I would stand back and say, is evil. It's evil. You think about the missionary who went to that, um, I don't even know if I say it right, the Sentinelese people, right? He goes and he, he knows the potential. I, I may lose my life going to this unreached people on this island, right? And sure enough, he does. And what is the church? The church turns around and criticizes him. It's insane. It's insane that Jesus would call us to suffer in all these ways, and then when we are suffering, the church would turn around and criticize us for being fools. That's the whole point, right? That as we follow Jesus, there's going to be times it's going to look really foolish. It ain't going to make sense to our world. But the fact of the matter, and this is just, I'm bearing my own kind of perspective in heart, is that, man, it is a shame that the church then would take on the perspective of the world in calling Christians foolish when God calls us to be fools for Christ's sake. We live in a weird context, a weird context, where our persecution will often be from those who would call us brothers and sisters. Suffering will be real. And of course, this suffering that, you know, as we follow Jesus and we join this mission of making much of Jesus, it's not just going to be from brothers and sisters bringing criticism towards us. It's going to be a whole host of issues. Like Paul doesn't take circumstantial issues of life and the sufferings that we face just seemingly by providence and say, oh, that, that's not the suffering that that is worthy here in this mission of following Jesus. He, he just puts it all in the same basket. Says if you got a cold and you're living for Jesus, that's suffering for Jesus. If you experience loss in this journey of following, that's suffering for Jesus, right? He doesn't qualify. Oh, you were proclaiming the gospel and you received some level of pushback. Oh, now that's the suffering. No, it's all of life as you follow Jesus. Any kind of suffering, Paul says, that's all a part of suffering for Jesus' sake, right? And that, folks, is the currency of the kingdom. Inevitably, there will be persecution. Now, finally, as Paul states in verse 24, he begins by saying something astonishing. He says, now I rejoice. <laughs> All right, Paul, now you're getting a little crazy, right? Now, now, now is the time as maybe the Colossians would be written. Now, now you'd be a little confused. This is, all right, man, a little sadistic, right? Taking pleasure in your pain, Stra strange stuff. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In other words, I think what Paul is getting at is the fact that we will suffer in this life, but but it's not suffering for its own end. We're not just here to be kind of religious about it, to check off the box that I suffered this past week, right? Uh, that's not the heart attitude that's behind all of, all of this. Paul is rejoicing in his sufferings because he knows that as he is suffering for the sake of seeing others brought to Jesus, it's bearing fruit. It's accomplishing something eternal, eternal benefit is being brought to bear in these moments through Paul's suffering. And therefore, Paul is saying, I have reason to rejoice. 
God's not going to waste my ministry. He's not going to waste my efforts. No, as I've gone ministering, now God is interacting. He's engaging hearts and doing the transformation and doing the work. And now I can sit back and say, wasn't it worth it all? God is changing hearts. God is changing lives. Folks, when we truly encounter something of the love of Christ, when you, when you really come to fathom that redeeming grace, even as was testified earlier, like he takes our sin debt away. That is incredible self-giving love. It came at a cost to him when it comes to the covering of our shame. That's what Jesus does for He covers our shame, but it comes at great cost to him. Folks, when we've come to know this kind of love, we can't but now give it away. And realize it's worth the suffering. It's worth not caring about this worldly reputation. Oh, look at, look at me. I fit in. <laughs> the point is not to fit in. We should not fit in, right? Let's throw our reputations away. Let's be fools for Christ. Let, we, we could use a little bit of like getting radical for Jesus when we are so calculated and careful on what we risk for his sake. When it comes down to it, um, Folks, when we've experienced his love, we won't help but give it away. But you have to realize that Jesus' love was agape love. It was self-giving love. He gave of himself for you and now says, join me, follow, follow me. And, and it's like he calls us to this cruciform life. As he gave of himself, he's saying, now you give of yourself by the love that you know. Now live according to that love. It becomes a whole kingdom ethic. Like here's how to walk out this Christian life. It's not religiosity. Oh, he calls me to suffer, so I got to do something that hurts, you know, just to check off the box. It's that if you've truly been called to follow Jesus, you know a love that is amazing. And it will, as Paul says elsewhere, compel you to love others likewise and bringing the hope of Jesus to them. So this morning, the question is, is this, is, are, are you just a convenient Christian? <laughs> are you just a convenient Christian, where, where it's like, okay, I'll, I'm willing to give, I'm willing to suffer, I'm willing to do X, Y, or Z that may bring some little bit of reproach uh, up upon me, but, but I'm only willing to go so far, so far as to like, you know, make me kind of inconvenienced. The call upon Jesus is to really like feel the cost. Um, if in some, yeah, if I can just use the illustration of Jabari. Uh, that, those are things where you, at this point, we feel the cost. It's like to care for a little one, you know, you're inconvenienced in those moments, <laughs> right? And it's like, oh, diapers and stuff and busyness and uh, the whole deal. Uh, 
But to walk it all the way through, you feel now, whoa, that costs something. That hurts. That, that is something that probably on this end of it, I'm not sure, like I would really have thought twice about this. But there's something good to that pain because you know that, that that pain really is producing something wonderful. It's really been good. It hurts. It, it, the cost is dramatically felt. Endless tears at this point, waves of grief crashing in where it just undoes you for so long of a, your day. You know, your day is just consumed now with those kind of things. But it's so good. It's like grief well spent, if you want to say. It's hardship well spent. It's suffering well spent. It's not just convenience. There's cost. And I think for many of us, that's the question. Like, are you just kind of living this Christian life comfortable and maybe like, okay, I'm willing to be inconvenienced, but Jesus calls us to something more, to cost. Now, I am going to stop right there. Because now for each one of us, it's like, well, what does that mean for me? Right? I can't tell you that. I can't tell you what it means. That's where this life following Jesus doesn't make sense outside the Holy Spirit telling you, <laughs> right? Moving you to, to take risks, to take steps that inevitably will cost you, right? I'm not going to stand up here and say, this is what we need to do as a church, and this is what you need to do. That, that is like way past my pay grade, right? That's, that's Holy Spirit territory. But he will call you. And this is the only thing that I, that I could say, it, is hear his call. Don't push it away. Don't squash it away. Don't, don't say, oh, that's a little too foolish for here and now. That doesn't work. No. And, like, pray through it. Engage with it. Consider it. And the fact of the matter, folks, is I would say as a church, and we've felt this through the last season, it's like there, there is no lack of self-giving and love here. It's wonderful. Like, man, I, I have reason again and again to just go before God and kind of like Paul, just, oh, I thank God always. Man, what a church, right? As we've gone through hardship, watching folks step up and give of themselves. Antoinette's not here, so I can say it. But having her, like, say, I am taking off work to be there at the funeral so I can just serve. <sighs> yeah. I mean, you just, Jesus is just like being honored and glorified in those moments. Those are divine Holy Spirit moments. And that's been true for many of you throughout this season. Oh, I'm going to give up this in order to serve in this way. It's beautiful. Just know God's heart. Like Paul is thanking God, but God is also rejoicing. God is showing incredible favor. So as you consider, you know, convenience versus cost, also know like God, God's not calling us to consider that while missing all the things that you have been doing. It's wonderful. It's glorious. There's much reason to praise him for the grace that he's been working in and through our lives. It's a beautiful thing. But I'm going to leave you with this. Are you following Jesus just within the borderlines of convenience or inconvenience? Or are you really saying, Jesus, if, if, you're, if you're calling me to great cost, I'm willing to step into that. I'm willing to step into that. Let's pray.
Jesus, in these moments, um, we want to honor, we want to honor you. And if we must become fools for your sake, let it be. If we must give up some sort of worldly acceptance, let it be. If we must face waves of grief and sorrow, let it be so that we might have something of eternal benefit in you. Oh, that for each one of us, it might be a sweet thing when you bring us home to realize that we invested in the things that are eternal. We invested in things that ultimately mattered. So Holy Spirit, I pray even now that you would give us strange and wonderful discernment. Protect our hearts from guilt that we're not doing enough and we better just do more and suffer more. No, move us by your love. Move us by your grace. And as you would call us, God, make us, make us people focused, given to obedience. All so that your name might be glorified. All so that the kingdom would be realized in greater and greater ways. All so that there would be eternal benefit. So Jesus, we just give ourselves to you and invite you. Spirit of God, we invite you to do the work within us. Challenge us if you need to. Comfort us <laughs> if you need to. Stretch us if you need to. But let us not just stay where we are. Work on our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I was reminded of the story of Jesus calling the net. 